So yeah, I'm, I'm CJ, uh, as the bio says, writer, speaker. I'm from Crown Heights, and I'm from Crown Heights back when it was Crown Heights. Okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, but hey, we are here today, and I'm, I'm grateful and thankful to get to join you guys. I'm actually not exactly a stranger to Arhau. I used to work for a missions organization that would send volunteers here during the week. So I've, I've always been around in the shadows in some way, but it's good to, to be here with you in this capacity. So I'm going to pray and we can jump in. Cool? All right. Uh, Father, we thank you that we get this opportunity to be here this morning, to gather together to worship, to hear from you, to, to learn from you. I don't take this moment for granted as I keep hearing stories about Christians in Afghanistan right now and what they're going through. So, Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters across the globe who are suffering right now. Today, we're going to hear a message about hearing about uh, the joy that can come from sorrow. And that's not always easy to see. It's not always easy to feel. But it is, it is by your grace that we are here today. So, Father, give us open minds, open hearts, and open ears to hear your truth. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles uh, or an app, flip with me, scroll with me, uh, get with me over to Psalm 126. I'm patient, so when you get there, just say, I got it. Oh, y'all fast, almost right there, okay. Let's do it. <clears throat> when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. You know, when you're preaching somewhere for the first time, there's this temptation to want to tell everybody everything about yourself in the first 30 seconds so that you, you build a kind of understanding. So if I say something hard later or, or something difficult, you don't say, who is this stranger talking all wild to me? And you go, oh, no, no, that's CJ. We, we know him. We don't really have time for that. So I'll tell you one thing about myself. I love movies. Pre-pandemic, back when the world was open and we were allowed to go outside, I was at the movies once a week. It's not because I'm this like, great movie buff and I know everything about directors and cinematography. I just like to turn my brain off. My, my mind is constantly going all the time. And when I go to the movies, it's two hours of me just shutting it down. Now, that means I've seen a lot of movies in my life and I can tell you exactly how the story goes. This happens, then this happens, then this happens. And for my wife, it's really annoying. Because we sit down to watch something, and I'm like, oh, yeah, so she's going to do this, and then he's going to do that, and his friend is going to tell him you messed up, and now you got to get back. And she's like, well, why are we even watching this? I'm like, to turn my brain off. Duh. So one thing I figured out is that every movie in some way is telling the same story. It's about a hero who gets down on their luck, Things go bad, they face some obstacles, and in order to reach their goal or see redemption, make things right, live happily ever after, they have to overcome those obstacles. And there's that old saying that art imitates life. I think it's true. 
because we've all been there, right? We've all experienced the dark night of the soul. We've all been through our various trials and tribulations. We've been through some things and seen some things, and we knew what we had to do to get up out of it and pull through to the end. But life isn't a movie. Rarely do our problems solve themselves in 90 minutes with a couple of jokes and a happily ever after. Oftentimes, we experience suffering and sorrow with no understanding for why or how long or for when it's going to end. What we learn and see in this passage today, what we see in Psalm 126, is that joy can come from sorrow. So if you take nothing else from today, if I can just give you my sermon in a sentence, it is simply that. Joy can come from sorrow. Whatever you are facing today, whatever you are going through, whatever sorrow it is that you are experiencing, I want you to know that in this situation right here, right now, joy can come from that. Because a lot of us in this room are going through some things right now. And a lot of us need to know that our situation is not completely hopeless and that you can and should continue to trust God through it. It's like Nia's shirt says, the God, oh, I can't see it from here. The God outweighs the bad. I'm, I'm getting a little older. That vision's starting to go. No matter how dark things may seem, no matter how bleak the options may look. The God outweighs the bad. We fix our eyes to the hills where our help comes from. And so the psalmist says to us this morning, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We've all been here at some point, right? Coming out of the trial, finally seeing the resolution, the relief, the joy you feel, feeling like the weight has been lifted from your shoulders. You feel light. It's what the Israelites were feeling. You got to think about when and where this was written. It is after years of exile, years of being ripped from their homeland and living in someone else's, they are finally being sent home. They are finally free. This hasn't, it wasn't a pleasant experience for them. They were exiled. They were captured. They were oppressed and enslaved. And yet the prophets over and over would call them to faithfulness in God. They would tell them to put down roots, build families, seek the welfare of the city that you were in because it is in their good, you will see your good. Take care of your oppressor. Be light in a dark place. All of this while having their lives restricted and longing to return home. There were people who were born in captivity that had only heard stories of home that were now getting to go to that place. See, my mom, she came to this country when she was 15 from Trinidad. If you don't know what Trinidad is, it's the most beautiful island in the Caribbean just off the coast of Venezuela. See, you know what's up. Now, my mom came here when she was 15, and my entire life I heard stories of Trinidad. I heard how beautiful it is. I heard about the water, the scenery, the food. 
Now, I've been eating roti my whole life, right? So when I was 25, I got to go to Trinidad. And my mom said, CJ, when you get there, the roti's going to be a little different. It's going to taste a little better. I'm like, I've been eating roti my whole life. I know, I know what it tastes like. And then I got there. <laughs> Let me tell y'all, this was the eating roti my whole life. Grew up in Crown Heights. This was the first time somebody ever put pumpkin in my roti. And when I tell you, it was delicious. I saw the heavens open up. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've seen the heavens open up, and it was when I had that roti. It was so good. I dreamed about it that night. And I was smiling in my sleep. And the next morning, my mother and my sister, they look at me, and they're like, what were you smiling about in your sleep? I said, did y'all not have the same roti I had? Because that was something to dream about and smile about. There were Israelites who had only heard stories about the roti that existed in Israel that were about to go home and experience it. There were people who were born in captivity, who died longing for the day that they would see their homeland again. And they never got to. But when the day finally came, who got the credit? Who got the glory? It was God. The Israelites didn't look and say it was because we were so smart or because we were so good or because we were able to uh, Sherlock Holmes our way out of this that we were made free. They were able to look and rightly say it was God that set us free. It wasn't the Persian ruler Cyprus who made the decree. It was Yahweh who put the words in his mouth and said, send my people home. So when you come up out of that mess, when you come up out of that trial, remember where the glory is due. Because it wasn't you. It was God. What I want you to, to take from that is this, this understanding that dark nights don't last forever. Oh, it feels like they do. When you're, when you're in the moment and the winds and waves of life are just crashing down around you and nothing is going right, remember that there is hope. Because when you feel like there's no hope, that's when the enemy tries to attack. See, we have to remember that spiritual warfare is real. The devil is real, no matter what the academy tries to tell us. And what we know about him is that he is a lion, prowling around, looking to see which one of us he can pick off. And he knows that if he can just plant the seed of doubt, if he can get us to be hopeless, then we'll start to look to other things, other people, other substances, anything but Jesus to make us feel good and feel right. So I want to remind you today, I want to encourage you to not take the bait because it's never worth it. Yeah, I know that already. You know, it's, it's hard living, living in a city like this. If you're from here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you are not filthy rich, it's hard to be here. And when we grow up listening to preaching that tells us that it's all about health, wealth, and prosperity, and comfort, it's easy to look around in this place where if you're not filthy rich, it's like you're grinding to get to the bottom of the middle at best and think that God must not be on my side if I don't have it all. God must not be on my side if I can't afford that brownstone, which the average price right now is $750,000. Who, who can afford that? What kind of jobs y'all work in? I need to know. <laughs> but scripture never promises us these things. Never promises us wealth, prosperity, comfort, 
but it does make two big promises. One is that you are going to go through some mess in life. One pastor I heard put it this way. You either in something, just coming out of something, or you're about to go into something. And if you are over the age of 15 in this room, you know just how true that is. But the second promise, the second is a glorious one. It is that Jesus will always be with us. Now, I went to seminary, so I have to do this. The, the Greek word for always means always. It means at all times. There is not a situation that you go through where he will not be there. And we approach that first truth that we're going to go through some things in light of the power of the second. That when Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he was not lying. And this is why James tells us when he opens his book to count it all joy, all of it, every bit of mess. Because Jesus is with us. So it's not an if, it's a when. And when they come, we count it as joy. I mean, just look at the last year, right? The pandemic, job losses, loss of loved ones, the uptick in abuse, the medical diagnosis, the wayward children, and then some of y'all were in lockdown with moody, emotional teenagers. It's just been so much. Many of us wish that we, would, we were just dealing with one of those things I listed. But the truth is, we're facing three, four, five of them. I look at that list, and there are five things within that that I'm going through myself, that I'm dealing with. And all of this leads us to this place where we can feel like it's hopeless. I just finished this really good book called Trouble the Water. It's a fictional telling of the life of a real person. This man was Robert Smalls. He was born enslaved, stole a Confederate ship, sailed it to freedom, fought for the Union Army, ultimately ended up becoming a legislator in South Carolina. He lived an incredible life, and we, we need movies made about him. But there's this one scene in the book where he's about nine, 10, 11, somewhere around that age, and he, he's starting to understand his place in this world. And he looks at his mother and he goes, Mama, will we ever be free? Will we ever live the lives that we want to live? And she looked at him and she said, Baby, sometimes we just need a sip of hope. You see, when the night is darkest, all you need is a sip of hope to keep going. When it seems like there is no way out, all you need is a sip of hope. When you don't know what to do, when it's all crashing down and you want to give up and it's, it's just overwhelming, you're facing three, four, five things at one time, all you need is that sip of hope. Jesus said it's faith the size of a mustard seed that moves mountains. It's not your faith. It's the object of your faith that is moving that mountain. God can move any mountain that is in your life. And so I beg you to maintain that sip of hope. Because there's only one hope that lasts. There's only one hope that doesn't crumble, that doesn't fail, and that hope is found in Jesus. Anything else will fail us. So the psalmist tells us, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I want to remind you that joy can come from sorrow. And because of that, 
I think this passage almost begs us not to waste our sorrow. That's a, that's a curious thing. You, you might wonder what, what I mean by that. What does it mean to not waste your sorrow? I, I think it's possible for us to experience pain and to grieve in a way in which we don't see fruit from it. I think there, there are two big ways we do this. The first one is, is turning inward. We like to isolate, right? This is my problem. I don't want to bring anybody else into this. I don't, I don't want anybody to have to deal with my trouble. Or you couldn't possibly know what I'm going through, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to deal with this on my own over here. But let me tell you today, there is no such thing as a Christian on an island. There are 59 one another commands in the New Testament. You know, love one another, bear one another's burdens, those things. 49 of them relate directly to life in the church. Your faith is personal, but it is not private. You are saved into a family, and it is us being there for each other that helps us get through the trials of life. You cannot, you cannot do this on your own. What did I just say about the enemy? He is a lion looking for who he is going to cut off. Now, I spend way too much time on YouTube watching lions kill things. Don't, don't judge me. But the, the lion doesn't get the gazelle that's in the pack. It gets the one that's by itself. It gets the one that is lagging behind. Don't let that be you. The second thing we do is we try to fix our problems in our own strength. And you know what I'm talking about. Taking the job you shouldn't. Being with the person that you shouldn't be with. Ignoring the wisdom from friends and family to go do your own thing. Now, you might come out of the situation. You might have used your own strength to move you from situation A only to find yourself in situation B because you didn't listen. Or you find yourself more exhausted by the effort you had to exert to get out of there. And I know because I've lived this. So... Friday made one year of unemployment for me. I've been working since I was 15. The longest I've gone was four months. So to be unemployed for a year has been weird and hard. What's under that is I've been looking for a job for four years straight. Oh man, longer than that now, but for a little over four years, I've been looking for a job and I haven't been able to find anything except that one job and I ignored every red flag that came up before me because I felt like I had to do that. I had to take that job. I felt like God was throwing me the clearest signals ever. And I was like, no, 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 God, I, I, I got to take this. I got a kid coming. And I had a second kid coming. I, now I got a third one. I, I got too many babies. <laughs> too many. <laughs> and I realized coming out of that terrible job situation, that had I just listened to God, had I trusted him, I would have missed out on a lot of pain I didn't have to go through. And so as I've spent this last year in unemployment with three babies now, a little stressed out, living in a pandemic, trying to figure out how I'm going to put food on the table, I felt like God dropped this, this little nugget in my heart. I felt like he said to me a couple of months ago, all of your fear, all of your anxiety, all of your worries, because you don't trust me. You think that 40 years from now, I'm not going to take care of you. That 40 years from now, all of a sudden, my character is going to change, and I'm going to leave you outside begging for bread. But when has that ever been the case? You may not have had everything you've always wanted, but you've always had everything you needed. 
And we live in a society that doesn't teach us to properly separate our wants from our needs. So we think that what we want is what we need, but in actuality, he has already given us everything we need. All of my plotting, all of my scheming, all of my planning, and I do a lot of plotting, scheming, and planning, was a lack of trust in him. But I get it now. I understand how the writer of Lamentations from this very same Babylonian exile was able to say, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Now I'm getting a little emotional because this is at home. I'm not just preaching to y'all. This is reminding myself that every single day, my wife and my three kids are taken care of. And it's not my strength. It's not my power, not my might, but by his spirit, says the Lord. That writer of Lamentations understood the very same lesson that we are trying to learn here today. It's that God's track record is unmatched. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So I'm telling you, but I'm really telling myself, don't stop trusting him now. That character is not changing. He's not us. He's not fickle. He doesn't change with the seasons. The wind doesn't blow and all of a sudden he's a new guy. We are offered a significantly better way than trying to will ourselves to victory. If we want to see joy come from sorrow, then we have to understand that we that if we experience sorrow in the proper way, it can make us happier and more joyous in the long run. And you know why? Because we know how the story ends. See, every, everything we go through, we got the cheat code. We know that this ends with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. This ain't a movie. This isn't some cosmic battle between good and evil and we don't know who's going to win. This is the king of kings and lord of lords cracking the sky with a tat on his thigh that says king of kings and lord of lords pulling the sword out and wiping evil out. Wiping away every tear from our eyes. He is the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. The was, the is, and is to come. He is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. There is no other place for us to put our hope because we know who he is. You know, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, just, they, they make so much more sense now that I get this. Now that I really understand it. Paul says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our inner selves are being renewed day by day as we face these light momentary afflictions. I've been looking for a job for four years. The man who wrote those words was whipped, in prison, bitten by a snake, had, all, had friends turn on him. He'd been through all sorts of mess. Light, momentary afflictions. If he can say that, what can we say? You know, I, I say all the time that our lives are not determined by how we respond to being at the top of the mountain. It's not how, how we are when things are good. Because we're, we're different people when things are good. We pray different. We act different. We love Jesus a little different. 
But when things are bad, when we're in that valley, where's the hope? Where's the trust? We start trying to claw our way out. The truth is, we spend a lot more time in the valley than we, than we care to admit. We, we, we think that life is all mountaintops. But the mountaintop is, it, it's rare. It's, it's, you know, three, four, maybe, maybe five times in our lives. A buddy of mine is about to get married. Now I'm going to be the best man in his marriage. Been married for seven years as of last week. So I'm, I'm not an expert on marriage, but you know, I've, been, I've been around long enough that I could, I could give some advice. And so he says to me, he goes, you know, CJ, when I get married, we're not going to fight about the little things. It's only going to be the big things. And I looked at him, I said, oh, my dear sweet child. <laughs> you know nothing and don't even know it. You see, the, the big arguments in marriage, three, maybe four times over the course of your marriage, it's the little things. Why do you put your socks there? You mean to tell me you washed all the dishes except two? Or my favorite? The toothpaste goes from the bottom, not that thumbprint in the middle. Those are the things you fight about. The big things are they're rare. But it's the little things every day. And it's the exact same thing when we're experiencing the valleys of life. It's how we act in the little things every day. So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the trial, as we do what we're supposed to do, even when we don't feel like doing it, spending time in scripture, belonging to a church, not just showing up, not just attending, belonging, spending time in prayer, being in community, we find that as we come out of it, we are made better. We're made stronger. Now, I told you I, I, I hoop. I've been playing for about 20 years now, and one of the sad parts about aging as a basketball player is you start to watch those little 16, 17, and 20-year-olds run by you. There was a day where I could stay in front of them, and now I'm standing there, and they're over there, and I'm not sure how they got past me. But at, at 33, I'm still trying to get better because I, I just I love the game. Back when I was in high school, back when I was at the, the peak of my powers, I, I, used, to, I used to jump with an, ankle weights on. And I, I would do all these trainings, and my mother, she, she just thought I was weird. But I'd walk around the house just jumping with an, ankle weights on. She's like, why are you doing this? And I said, because I know that when I take the weights off, I'm going to be able to jump a little higher. And it's the same thing as we experience trials. It's in the valley that with the weight of the world on us, that when we keep chasing after Jesus, that when we keep pressing towards him, we come out and find that our faith is just a little bit stronger. And we're able to jump just a little bit higher spiritually. And the beautiful thing about this is unlike my diminishing basketball skills, as we get older in the faith, we get stronger with this. I still jump with weights today, but I don't get anywhere near as high as I did when I was 23. But when I jump with the weight of life on me today, I soar so much higher than I did when I was 23. But there's another important thing that we get coming out of a trial. It's a testimony. Now, when I was a kid, church was three hours, minimum. Some of y'all come from those backgrounds and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are spoiled and never had to go through that. 
Now, if for some reason church was less than three hours, my pastor, a lovely man from Belize, would go, I, 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 I think we need to share some testimonies. And he would start to pass the mic around and let people talk. Talk about what they've been through. Talk about what God has done for them. And I would start to hear stories about how people didn't know how the rent was going to get paid. And then it got paid. Or the diagnosis was wrong. Or that wayward child was brought home. Or groceries magically showed up on the doorstep when they didn't know how they were going to feed their kids. And at 10, I didn't get it. I just wanted to go home. I wanted to watch my cartoons. At 33, I understand. After having lived through some things myself, after having suffered through my own dark nights, I understand the power of a testimony. God did not bring you through it for you to be silent about it. He brought you through it so that you can let somebody else know that he can bring them through it too. Don't be selfish with your testimony because it's not just for you. It's for somebody else. It is that reminder that weeping may endure for the night, but when does joy come, family? In the morning. You know, every movie is about a hero looking to find the end looking within themselves to find the answer. They look inside of themselves and they, they, they muster up enough courage or, or they figure out the thing that they've been doing that's blocking themselves and they overcome. But we are not the heroes of this story. We make terrible heroes, and we know that. And that's why we look to Jesus, the only hero who brought the ultimate joy out of sorrow, who experienced the ultimate sorrow to bring the ultimate joy he is our example. When we suffer, we are reminded that he suffered greater, taking on all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin, and all of our pain so that we might be free. We are not the heroes, and that's a good thing. It relieves us from the burden of trying to rescue ourselves. Because how often do our attempts at saving ourselves actually end up good? How often have you tried to get yourself out of that problem and it ended up good? How many times have we held on too long when we should have let go? So I told you I got three babies, almost four, almost two, almost one. My, four -year, my almost four-year-old, she's, she's got this fishing rod toy from this couple, Melissa and Doug. I don't know who Melissa and Doug are, but their toys are all over my house. And I'm sure that I've put their kids through college at this point. But she, she's got this little fishing rod and the way the fishing rod, rod works is you, you take the string and you kind of put it through these three holes and then you loop it around the bottom. And so I, I'm trying to fix this toy for her. And, and I'm getting it through the first hole, through the second hole. But as I'm getting down to the third, it, it, it's pulling back up. And I realize she's holding the other end and she, she's pulling it out, impeding my progress. And I had to look at her and I said, baby, I can't fix this unless you let go. How many of us has God been saying the same thing to us? I can't fix this unless you let go. You see, when we try to save ourselves, when we try to fix our problems in our own strength, we are stopping God from doing what he does. Being the almighty, being the savior, he is still Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He is still Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He is still Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. But we can't let him be who he is if we are holding on to everything and not letting him do what he does. That's why the book of Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man 
that in the end leads to death. But the way of Jesus leads to life everlasting. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever you're facing today, cast your cares on him. The only one who has the power to save. The one who offered us his burdens because they're light and said he'll take on ours. I pray. I pray that we can be people who suffer well, who experience the joy that can come from sorrow, and people who walk in this world with a testimony about how good our God is. Let's pray to that end. Lord, you are still in the business of saving and changing lives. You are still in the transformation business, and we thank you for that. We recognize that the power to save is not within us, and we thank you for that because we make terrible gods. We make terrible heroes. But we look to you, to you, our healer, our hope, our true and only savior. This world offers us everything else, and none of it compares. And even in our mess, even as we continue to screw things up, your love never fails never gives up, never runs out on us. Come on, God. We are so undeserving, but you give us everything. I know that there are people in this room who have been playing church. People who have been coming, coming around for years and still don't know where they land on Jesus. Father, I pray that those people would not leave this room without their, having their questions answered. That those who are simply here just exploring, trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about, that they would not leave here with their questions unanswered. Because there's urgency to this. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And I want every single person in this room to know that our hope, that our healing, our peace is found, found in Jesus alone. I pray that we would be people who would be able to let go, who'd stop trying to hold on to our own problems, you do what you do. Because in the end, you are still God. You are still the Almighty. Lead us closer to you today. Let us meditate on these words this week and come to greater healing and hope in you. I pray for this church, for Recovery House of Worship, that they would know the height, the depth, and the breadth of your love for them. Through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.